Madrid is full of boys named Paco, which is the diminutive of the name Francisco. And there is a Madrid joke about a father who came to Madrid and inserted an advertisement in the personal columns of El Liberal, which said, Paco, meet me at Hotel Montana, noon, Tuesday, all is forgiven, Papa. And how a squadron of Guardia Civil had to be called had to be called out to disperse the 800 young men who answered the advertisement. But this Paco, who waited on table at the Pension Luarca, had no father to forgive him, nor anything for the father to forgive. He had two older sisters who were chambermaids at the Luarca, who had gotten their place through coming from the same small village as a former Luarca chambermaid who had proven hardworking and honest, and hence given her village and its products a good name. And these sisters had paid his way on the autobus to Madrid and gotten him his job as an apprentice waiter. He came from a village in a part of Extremadura where conditions were incredibly primitive, food scarce and comforts unknown. And he had worked hard ever since he could remember. Lightning round recap. It's not really a lightning round, but okay. A boy waiter in Madrid tries out bullfighting, play acting with the dishwasher, but the play acting turns fatal. This is a special story from the Hemingway anthology, The Main Guy Dies at the End. You've got a little time. We've got a little podcast. It's Short Story Short Podcast. I am Chris, here today with... Christy Baxter, as <sighs> usual. Yeah, weird, huh? Yeah, I know. It's like it's almost like a habit. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Speaking of a habit, I have a serious reading habit. And do you have anything as my pusher for me this week? I do. I'm gonna open my trench coat and in this deep pocket, I'm gonna pull out The Capital of the World by Ernest Hemingway. It is a brain-blowingly good story. Uh Oh, no, no, no. I had to take my shot, but uh, what I... <sighs> the first point I'd like to hit, it's number one with a bullet. Um... <laughs> uh, there were a whole bunch of JFK memes I was playing with the other day. Uh, the best one is, uh, it's a puzzle piece. I finished my JFK puzzle, and just at, right above his ear, one piece is taken out, and there's a red background. Um I probably won't cut that just because. <laughs> um, but this is a story that sometimes gets overlooked for Hemingway's more... I can't say machismo pieces, but it's more Hemingway's machismo pieces. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's not <laughs> really considered one of the classics it's not it's not generally part of the canon it's not one you stumble upon unless you you go looking for it or you're as i was reading a hemingway anthology and it's i i wonder why that is do you have any thoughts on why this gets kind of overlooked i do actually and i think it's sort of two twofold i think one it is a story that is more political than a lot of his stories are and it does and I think actually he kind of shoehorns that in 
which is, I think, the weakest part of this story. But on the other hand, I think it also gets overlooked just because the prose here feels like Hemingway trying to be Hemingway. And I think that that is, and I did not get to look up, because uh, this is published relatively middle of his career. Uh, I think it was, what, 37, 38? 36, wow, okay. Uh, so maybe a little earlier. So it didn't have that sort of Hemingway don't care what you think attitude that a lot of his later stuff do. Does. Yeah, I, I agree with you on both those points. I think I think the political stuff, there's and, and a little bit of a tinge of religious stuff in there too. Um, and and it's sort of like the characters espousing sort of both um both labor rights and workers' rights uh sentiments, as well as sort of anti-religion sentiments, or at least the religious establishment of that area, maybe not fully anti-religion. And I guess those two things could be hard to bring up in, in some, some of the context that make things part of the canon, which is generally the stuff we read in school. Mm -hmm. And I think other, another thing, is, and this will seem really sort of minor, is it's a bullfighter story. And the cliche is that the three things that Hemingway was interested in was betting nurses, drinking, and bullfighters. And bullfighters has a lot of connotations to it that necessarily the canon doesn't sort of recognize um we could get really deep and dig into well it's a story about a a spaniard it's a story that doesn't deal with the main themes of hemingway's life even though it does and it affirms bravery which is one thing that hemingway was always going on about um, by the way, if you've never seen Midnight in Paris, watch it immediately because it is so good. And the guy who plays Hemingway is so perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Love a perfect Hemingway. <laughs> I, you know, Hemingway died before I was born. But I've met a few people who actually knew him a little bit, including one of his, uh, one of his biographers towards the end of his life. Uh, and they all said the same thing. Every cliche you see in Hemingway's work comes from the fact that Hemingway was a cliched human being. <laughs> but I do wonder if he sort of made the cliche a cliche. You're probably right, but don't we all? Yeah, in a way, but he really went for it, which is, in a, it's a, a very Hemingway thing to do. And so it's therefore cliched. Not true. Yeah, <laughs> that's very true. He is a man who wanted to define himself and I think a lot of that shows through the characters in his story. But I kind of don't see that so much in Paco. Yeah, here we have Paco who dreams of being a bullfighter, sees all these bullfighters around him that he's serving as a waiter. And he wants to try it out sort of and, and gets almost goaded into it by the dishwasher who immediately is like, Oh no, never mind. You know, but it's not really trying it out. It's it's knives strapped to a, <laughs> a chair and the dishwasher pretending he's a bull. But yeah, I don't I don't see it necessarily in Paco. I mean, maybe Hemingway could have seen this as like who, you know, somebody he might have been that that bravery to the point of 
you know, even, even when you're, you're facing death, stupid bravery, I guess it's stupid bravery. It's dumb bravery. Yeah. And I think it's not only dumb bravery in this case, it's dumb faux bravery. And that's one of the things I actually like about this is it is confirming his, his grand idea that uh, one must live a purposeful, brave, uh, outwardly defined life. But in this case, it's really fascinating is when he tries to do that, he ends up really dead, not just metaphorically dead, like, you know, all of us are inside. Um, and I think that aspect, I mean, there's, this is a story that one of the reasons why I like this story so much is that there are so many layers to every interpretation. And part of that is because this isn't Hemingway at his uh thin coat of veneer phase this is Hemingway at the thick coat of veneer phase yeah yeah I'd say like as an exemplar of a thin coat of veneer hills like white elephants I feel is is the thinnest (laughs) yeah I mean when you read that what you're feeling is this is a writer who just went through every third word. Uh, that's the international sound for swiping downwards. Uh, whereas chick is swiping left on things like Tinder. Um, but I think one of the powerful aspects of this one is, is not its necessarily its language, but in its landing. Because everything has space to land here. There is no uh, overwhelming saturation in this one. It has more space than his other stories, which are kind of spare. Um, but it's also, this isn't one of the stories also that I would say inspired all the people who rave about Hemingway. I mean, from, God, from just about everybody in the 1950s all the way up through Chuck Palahniuk. This isn't one of those stories that brought us that stuff. Yeah, and I think he gives the story space to breathe by exploring the world around the central figure. We, mm-hmm. we look at the, the, this particular night in the lives of the different bullfighters and the, the people around them and a little bit the priests and even a little bit like Paco's sisters and the waiters. And there's this examination of their lives that actually we don't get very much of from uh, uh, with Paco because he hasn't led very much of one yet. Mm-hmm. So it almost feels like it was space by necessity. Like he needed to explore that space because Paco is a child about to die. Hasn't really lived a life yet that you can even look at his history and, and, and plumb for, for too much meaning. <coughs> Correct. I will say this. Um, one of my favorite parts is the Matador is talking about uh, his career going forward and his routine suddenly just becomes old hat. And I think this is, if Hemingway wrote this for a reason for himself, I think in the descriptions of the Matadors, he is describing what he is afraid of becoming himself. Correct. <laughs> and I think 
I actually don't necessarily believe that he went into this saying, I got this great idea for a guy. He's a waiter and he gets mauled by a chair, um, which in the hands of another author, give that to Stephen King and it's, it's gold. Um, I think he went into this with this idea of, oh my God, where's my life going now? And I think that aspect makes it really, really fascinating to see a point of view that you don't normally get. I won't necessarily say insecurity because this is a very, very securely written story, but perhaps a questioning. Uncertainty. Uncertainty is a great word that I could not think of for the life of me. That's what I'm here for. (laughs) I'm the word thinker. (laughs) That is also a terrible superhero because it's just thought bubbles with words in them. I'm cool with it, you know? (laughs) I'm cool with it. If I were going to be a superhero, that's the one I would be. Yeah, I agree that if if this is if we're going to take a meaning from this and then transpose that onto Hemingway's life, which some schools of thought say you you, you shouldn't do, but we're uh, we're our own school of thought, so we do what we want. And if you are to do that, I would say, yeah, those, you're you're spot on with those matadors, and maybe even a little bit with uh, the young boy, the young boy who doesn't get a chance to live. That being maybe, you know, if we're going to go into metaphors and symbolism and all that fun 11th grade AP English stuff, that being sort of uh, the representation of somebody whose youth is cut short, maybe not physically, but emotionally, maybe a boy who had to grow up too soon. I never take AP English. I, I feel as if I'm a failure for that. Oh, don't, don't worry. I, I, I took it for two years and then my, the teacher who was going to teach it, I think retired or something happened. I can't remember. And they put somebody with a business degree in and I was like, I'm gonna go somewhere else. (laughs) So I never even got my AP credits out of taking it. (laughs) That's a sad story, but also beautiful in its own way. It's, it's very representative of, uh, I was, that my experience in AP English was Paco. <laughs> well, thank you for making it through. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I didn't get stabbed by that horrible English teacher's uh, <clears throat> knives on a chair. <laughs> yeah. I think one of the other things here that is neat is that we're seeing everything in, I don't want to say, Uh, a wash of nostalgia for something that was just happening but it's somewhere along that line it's this he's putting gilding around it as this sort of moment of importance for someone who is of no importance necessarily he was just a kid yeah we get this sort of montage of what everybody else in the hotel all these characters we've already been introduced to what they're doing at the moment that the Paco is stabbed. And it's, that's another like space giving technique there. I feel exploring the other areas of this building where, you know, super important things aren't happening. People aren't about to die, but it's, it's just people living their lives. And it also gives it that, that poignancy of look what this kid's going to miss out on. 
that is definitely as he establishes at the the end of the story with you know the line that he would he would never be get to experience all these these things that other people were experiencing including being disappointed in the Greta Garbo movie <laughs> it was disappointing Madrid and you know it's it, it's it comes down to the little things you know he would never grow up to be a bullfighter who ended up being too much of a coward to to have a real career of it or being washed up or anything like that. So in a way, he was never disappointed, except for probably when he died. And that was probably a little bit of a disappointment. I don't think it was disappointing. I think he died with a head full of illusions. Yeah, I think he still had the illusions. I think they should have been knocked out by the stabbing. But uh, I think he had the illusions. Probably jarred him out a little bit. <laughs> One would hope. Yes. Well, what else you got on this one? Anything? Um, really, all I have is just my own personal connection to this is uh, people, some people don't know that Hemingway actually loved six-toed cats, which the technical term for that is polydactyl. And he had a, you know, he basically like bred them at his compound in Key West. You can still go down there and they saw tons and tons and tons of the, the six-toed cats. And we have one of those who just found us. He just, we were sitting outside by the fire one night, you know, in the, in the summertime. And he just walked up and started purring like crazy and, and wanted to be in our laps. We already had a cat named Shakespeare at the time because uh, I was the namer of the cat and therefore it was Shakespeare. And uh, it just became automatic. One of my friends was like, well, clearly the six-toed cat, you have to name Hemingway. So, so yeah, that's, that's my Hemingway. <laughs> that's awesome. But also more importantly is this may prove that ultimately Hemingway's story is a story of hubris because by playing God, he'd flown too close to the sun and his wings could not sustain him. And that's what happens every time uh, our Hemingway tries to get into the bathtub to drink the leftover water there and then can't get out again. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hey, hey, Christy. Yes. I was thinking that over this next week, I might take some time to look at words written on pieces of paper that are bound together and then scanned and put on the Internet. What would you suggest that would be? You know, I would suggest reading a story called The Swan as a Metaphor for Love by Amelia Gray. And it's a really quick read, too. Awesome. <laughs> well, then, until next week, this has been Short Story. Short Podcast. Love the bit of drama at the end there. Ha, 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 ha.